there's there's a role for us to play to speak truth to power as we always have uh, to make sure that we hold those who uh, to make decisions accountable because we can do that. I can see you. I can see me. I'll be the eyes so that I just can be. This is another episode of a special series called Enough for All of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. This series sheds light on 75 years of an NGO called CWS. My name is Mick Bloom and I welcome you to another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another podcast about church world service, and I'm really delighted to have one of my colleagues present today, and I will ask him to introduce himself. Errol? Hi, Maurice. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Errol Kekic, and I'm Senior Vice President at Church World Service. And uh, Errol, I mean, you like, like myself, you have been with Church World Service for quite a number of years. When, when did you start? I started uh, two months after John McCullough in uh, March of uh, 2000, and uh, that makes me one of the oldest serving CWS members that we currently have today. I did start when I was seven years old, so that helps. <laughs> and it's, it's, it goes really, really fast, right? I mean, it's like I'm, I'm also there with you 20, 21 years. It's, it's, uh, you have so many things to do, so it, it really flies. Um, yeah, and especially now we are in, in the middle of so many changes and it's, yeah, it goes so fast. Hey, Errol, um, so tell us about how, how did you get involved with Church World Service? So I started um, in, in March of 2000 as a consultant working on a six-month project that was... Uh, looking at um, ways in which uh, public-private partnership that uh, refugee resettlement is in the United States could be expanded to include additional uh, private components to it. And each one of the nine national resettlement agencies at the time was looking at ways in which they can mobilize their own constituency as well as those who are tangentially connected to them to be more active in this process, which is really an interesting parallel to uh, <laughs> the situation that we're facing today as we're transitioning from the administration that has been extremely hostile to refugees and immigrants to the next administration that has made some major promises in terms of expanding the reach and uh, looking at ways in which additional um, assistance could be provided to a larger number of refugees and immigrants, which will inevitably come back down to this issue of what is the role of private sector, what is the private sector, how do we define that, and uh, how can this public-private partnership be uh, enhanced. And, and tell us, why, why was it that you got involved in this, in this work? Well, it comes from a personal experience, uh, having gone through the process myself many 
years ago, I um, uh, kind of ended up in this field despite my chemical engineering background um, and uh, felt that this was one way to, to give back. This was one way to re recognize that um, in so many ways I had been the lucky one. I um, spoke English, I was by myself, I had decent education, I uh, was able to uh, connect and integrate fairly quickly. Uh, and that's not necessarily always the case for every single person who, uh, who has to escape war and persecution and, and come to the US and start the new. So um, for what it's worth, it was, uh, it was one way to say, well, you know, let's, let's share this wealth of experience. Mm -hmm. And and if you, you know, what what are maybe you know what is for for you maybe the top three in terms of you know this is what I experienced myself and that's what helped me or this is what I lacked and that's why you know if I work on this program and help people to go from A to B this is important are, are there maybe you know is there a top three of things that you always pay attention to and try to convey that to your colleagues and uh, ensure that it is part of the program. Well, firstly, that this isn't a program. This is mm -hmm. uh, what we do because we choose to. And mm -hmm. uh, it is the work is organized under a program rubric, but it really connects the, the best that humanity has to offer, both in terms of um, extending welcome that already exists to really creating more vibrant and diverse um, societies on the mm -hmm. receiving end of the spectrum. Um, the other piece that is really important to, to keep in mind is that, um, you know, we're part of a larger set of solutions. Um, you know, resettlement of refugees is certainly not by itself going to ever be the solution that will uh, solve the global migration crisis or for that matter, displacement, but it certainly plays a role, but it plays a specific role for a specific uh, population. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we continue to further expand and, and refine our work. Um, it's important to recognize the place that resettlement has in time and, and geographic spread. It's also important to realize how it enhances uh, the other solutions that uh, that we're trying to uh, to extend to um, to those who will not be considered for refugee resettlement. So it's part of a larger uh, process, and and we occupy a certain uh, space in in time. But it's certainly um, you know fully we're fully aware of the fact that this isn't the all or end all, and uh, we are not suggesting that um, every single person in the world who has found themselves in a situation of refuge uh, or, or being a refugee has to be resettled. That's not sustainable or, or realistic to expect. But uh, for that small fragment of, of the most vulnerable population that exists out there, we need to continue to extend this solution and keep it open for generations to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and th thanks for explaining that uh, at all. And, and what you know, if we look at the situation that we are facing uh, today, um, what 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 are some of the biggest hurdles then? If you if you look at uh, the issue of global migration of people moving within their countries from country A to B, what what do you see as as big challenges around these huge topics? 
Well, it's a it's kind of a perfect storm if you think about it. I mean, we're dealing with unprecedented uh, size of the displacement crisis, which hasn't been recorded in the past. We are doing that in the middle of global pandemic and uh, sharpened political rhetoric that uh, nativist movements have uh, pushed in, in various parts of the world. Um, we're dealing with a lack of resources and part of what used to be known as the international community to, to make that happen, but also, frankly, the lack of political will to create those resources for that said, quote unquote, international community, because countries such as the United States have been pulling out of the agreements and, and uh, um, have been restricting their support for, for various UN agencies. And while not perfect, those agencies are certainly the um, uh, vehicle and, and the best that we have at this point in time to, uh, to continue to, to offer some sort of uh, glimmer of hope to, to those who are in, in destitute positions. Um, I think that um, we can't discount the, uh, the number of uh, conflicts that are ongoing um, and uh, have perpetually created additional displacement. So it's not just that they're pushing people who have already been um, out, of, out of their countries for a long period of time to stay there or to seek other solutions, but they're constantly producing new flows of people that are coming out of those countries and going to other destinations. And those neighboring countries um, are, tend to be just as poor and, and underdeveloped and, and without resources uh, as the countries that have produced this place in the first place. And I think that that's a huge issue that um, mm. you know, often gets uh, neglected in these conversations about uh, you know, fair share uh, of, of you know, responsibility sharing, burden sharing, et cetera. For as long as we don't build peace and conditions for people to uh, remain where they are and um, uh, return to, we will continue to see displacement. And on top of all of these pieces here, we of course have the, um, the scientifically proven um, effects of climate change, which on their own create additional conditions that um, make uh, make people move because they simply can't produce enough food in locations where they exist at this point in time. And, um, you know, how does one deal with all of these mega trends that exist out there all at the same time in midst of a very polarized political realities on the ground uh, is a big question for our day and certainly an issue that we need to uh, consider seriously as we move forward. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so what do you think is, is the specific role that CWS can play? And is that role different than the organization played 75 years ago? Um, well, yes and no. Uh, let me answer your second question first. Um, I think that CWS was formed in the aftermath of, of the Second World War. And, the moment when that um, when displacement was unprecedented and uh, when there were more displaced people than ever before in, in recorded history. And 75 years later, here we are again in a very similar situation, trying to focus on uh, pretty much similar, not same set of issues. So to me, it is really important for uh, an organization such as, such as CWS to focus to make some really strategic decisions about where it can and should be investing its time and limited resources in, in years to come. And what are the bits and pieces of our work that uh, we'll have to take second 
seat to, to those priorities, just because we're simply unable to be all things to all people all at the same time. And I think that that is not a challenge unique to CWS. I think that's a challenge that exists across the board and many organizations are struggling with. What I think uh, makes us somewhat different is, is our connection with, um, with our members. Uh, CWS is a membership organization. And even though uh, over the years that membership um, strength was coming in and out and changes and changed, um, I think um, it is now important to try to get back to that point in time uh, that existed in 1946, where we all realized that we can do more together than any of us can do alone. And I certainly hope that uh, we would be able to create those platforms where um, these various capacities come together to act in, in common, um, with a common goal in mind. Let, let me piggyback a little bit on what you said around the members. If, you know, my kind of observation is, okay, the Church World Service started as a U.S. Christian organization trying to work ecumenically. And if I see what it has evolved into, I, I think we are moving towards a global interfaith organization. Would you agree with that? And if so, yes. And if not, uh, can you also explain why not? Well, I think it's important to... Um honor the history and, and recognize where we came from, what our roots are, and then recognize that things have changed uh, to, to a certain extent over, over the years. And that um, the role that we as an organization that is membership-based occupy today uh, is probably different from where it was um, 75 years ago. Um, I do think that a lot of um, our own members have um, you know, change with times as we have and uh, created their own capacities to, to respond to various crises um, around the globe. And mm -hmm. I think uh, at this point in time, it would probably be uh, wise for all of us to consider, you know, taking stock inventory or where we are, where we think we really can make a sustainable change and difference. And um, uh, perhaps realize that uh, regardless of what the what the name is that we give ourselves as a coalition, mm -hmm. uh, we have no choice but to act in unison if we want to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And that impact has to be sustainable, and that impact has to be done working with the communities that we uh, say that we serve, not for the communities that we say that we serve. Um, and it has to be done in a way that um, would be uh, innovative and would be different and not subject to limitations that uh, in so many ways are artificial. Mm -hmm. for, just for the listeners, we are, you're, you're listening also to Errol's son, who is maybe uh, building something with his toys. At least that's how it sounds to me. Uh, and... Oops, um, yes. <laughs> Um, at all, to talking about the, the the name because you you mentioned it, I you know you know that within the organization we uh, we are looking at at uh, you know what is the future of CWS and part of that discussion there is also this uh, conversations around branding and a possible name change and um, you know in and it seems that. You know, may, we we seriously need to look at that if we want to reach out to the younger generation. And and uh, you know, what what is your opinion about that? 
what are your uh, concerns or, or ideas around it? Well, I think it's um, maybe a, a two-part answer. Mm -hmm. um, one is that we absolutely have to have no choice but to uh, focus on making our work accessible to the younger generation, making our work inclusive of the capacities that the younger generation brings forward. And that will inevitably necessitate changing the ways we engage with the world in mm -hmm. some instances. Um, you know, we can't continue to expect that everything has to conform to the methodologies that we have created for ourselves many years ago and have decided to deploy because they were the best available at the time based on information available. Things have changed and, and we have to, uh, along with those, uh, with those things. I also think that there's a danger in, or risk perhaps is a better word, mm -hmm. in um, putting all eggs in that basket and forgetting the um, you know, life-saving uh, sustainability that our supporters have offered over the years. We can't leave people behind. And we have to find a way to um, to move forward into 21st century and beyond in a way that is inclusive of the younger generations, but also brings along those um, those very loyal and very uh, life sustaining uh, supporters that have been with us for for a long period of time. So finding that common language is a challenge, and uh, and yet we have no choice but to find it. And thinking a little bit about the, the past, when, when CWS Churchful Service was celebrating its 50 years, it, it um, produced a book. And the subtitle or the title of the book was 50 Years of Help and Hope. If, if you, would, you would be asked to you know, write a book or come up with a title for 75 years of CWS, what are some of the keywords that you would be using to um, kind of you know, summarize it? Or, or, yeah. Um, like, I never expected this. <laughs> that would be a good <laughs> title for the book. <laughs> um, well, we certainly have um, seen some major changes to the world over the last um, four or five years that have been in so many ways um, brought to us by the fact that inequalities that we have been trying to fight for 75 years uh, are unfortunately alive and well, and uh, have consistently been pushing people out of their homes and pitting them against each other and continue to uh, create conditions that are unstable and unsustainable for, for a large swath of humanity. Um, the divisions between the haves and the have-nots, divisions between those who count and those who not, and divisions between those who uh, see themselves as, as superior to others and those who are uh, quote-unquote inferior have unfortunately been deepened and uh, have put some serious strain on capacity of organizations such as ours to, to respond. So what I think... Um, we have to do as, as an organization, but also as, as you know, practitioners of, of humanitarian and sustainable development work 
is uh, this take a serious, long, and honest inward look um, into what exactly do we think our capacities are? Um, what exactly do we think we can be successful in impacting over the short period of time, let's say five to 10 years, and then a longer period of time uh, for the next 75, and, um, and focus on those things. And I think uh, being disciplined enough to, to do that is, is, is a very difficult thing to, to achieve. But I do think that um, uh, we are basically going to have to go through that process if we want to occupy a similar spot in the next 75 years. And it's alarming, I, <laughs> I hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I live in New York. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, while looking inward, um, what do you, do you like about the work of CWS? You know, you're with the organization already around 20 years. What do you like? And, and can you maybe um, describe that with an anecdote and an experience? Um, so, before I came to CWS, I, uh, I used to work with the, uh, the Lutheran um, organization that does similar work to, um, to, to CWS. And uh, my then old boss uh, basically said this as he was leaving, uh, well, farewell, and whatever you do, don't ever go and work for church full service. They're a little crazy out there. <laughs> and then just about six months later or, 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 or a year later, I found myself uh, working at CWS headquarters as a short-term consultant, which uh, was never going to stay there for a long period of time. And, you know, this is just a temporary patch for me to, uh, to move on to the next thing. Uh, and now we are here 20 some years later, and um, um, I, um, I'm very excited and, and, and proud to have had such a long and rich history with, with CWS. Uh, one thing that gave me great appreciation for the organization. It's, um, it's its ability to, um, to modify and form the way it looks at the world in, in some ways. Um, it is a mid-size NGO. We're not the smallest. We're definitely not the largest NGO out there that does this um, humanitarian development and, and humanitarian response work. Um, but we're big enough to have enough potential um, avenues to explore our creativity and, and you know, apply our talents towards uh, responding to, to specific situations, while at the same time not big enough to become, for each position to just be a clog in a wheel, you know, so that you only can ever see your tiny little part of the universe. So basically, if you're willing to, to work hard and fulfill your job description and, and then go beyond that, you also are given that freedom and, and flexibility to, to express your opinion and to suggest other ways in which the organization can be, can be effective in the world. And um, to me, that's, that's priceless. I think that that's something that I'd really like to lift up for you know, individuals who come to me for informational interviews or you know, when we talk about uh, interviews for prospective candidates for jobs and people ask, what do you like about CWS? That's certainly the first thing that, that comes to mind. It's just that ability to, to think creatively and um, to really apply yourself to something that you believe in. Mm. Thanks. You, you know, you, you have given a lot of... Um, descriptions about CWS and how it works, etc. If you have to name one colleague or a partner or a supporter of CWS, 
who best embodies of what CWS is about, according to you? Who will you name and why? Well, it will come not as a surprise to you at all, but um, my dear friend and former colleague, Joe Robertson, is to me the CWS embodiment, person who has applied his talents and, and faith uh, to, and his life's work to assisting others and who had spent uh, a long career with CWS, uh, but continued to support it beyond his, his working days. Um, and the reason for that is that, um, I think his deep faith and um, and his connection with the the very fabric of what CWS mm -hmm. is this membership organization this faith in action uh, organization that is willing to also be flexible and not just confine itself to faith only but to really expand beyond that uh, was just um, an inspiration for me. You know, somebody who comes from a very strong religious background like Joe is also able to work with people who don't necessarily have that strong religious background and, and do so in a very effective way. You know, a person who is generous, not just with his time, but also with his money, a uh, person who has, um, you know, spent long hours um, uh, recognizing that, um, you know, well, he also could learn a lot more about um, aspects of the work that, um, you know, we've been engaging in. And who's created opportunities for others like me to uh, to prosper and succeed in the organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Errol, I, I think Joe Robertson, who was before you leading, you know, our immigration refugee resettlement work, is is um, is is really an incredible uh, person. I mean, the fact that you know he decided to step aside to um, to let you, you know. Um, going into that position is quite something remarkable, uh, which you don't see often. I mean, that's for me kind of an example of who he was and what he stood for, right? I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, it, incredible friend and, and colleague. Is there anything that you would like to say to the organization or wish for uh, CWS? There's, there's a role for us to play, to speak truth to power, as we always have, uh, to make sure that we hold those who uh, to make decisions accountable because we can do that. And this is also going back to my earlier statement about our membership and our capacity. I frequently um, say in, in my meetings with elected officials that we as an organization effectively represents some 30 million Americans. Well, I hope that they never ask me to prove that because I'm not sure that that's absolutely a, a fact, but um, our, our combined membership in our diversity is what makes us stronger. And if we were to apply that very consistently, deliberately in, um, in a disciplined manner to uh, making our position clear and moving forward, I think we would be much more effective and uh, would really be much more recognized as, as an organization that does this uh, regularly and constantly. So, you know, looking at ways in which we respond to the global um, effects and, and events around us, but also in how we impact um, the, the global response to those same events is really, really important for us to keep, keep an eye on. And, and 
a little bit piggybacking on that, what they say is, is uh, I mean, there are also a lot of discussions around, is there a future for, for uh, NGOs, international NGOs? Um, you know, because of a lot of countries where we work, as an example, you know, they are changing their rules and regulations and what we can do. So what do you see happening there? Yeah, it's a really good question that I think none of us know, know the answer to. Um, but, you know, what's labeled as localization has certainly been a hot topic in, in our uh, little NGO world for, for a period of time now. And I think it's, um, you know, past due time to, for, for the world to recognize that the real capacities uh, really exist on the ground where, where things happen and that it's usually those small uh, organizations that are under-resourced and uh, perhaps under-experienced uh, that are the first responders to whatever crisis uh, their, their community may experience, which is not a surprise. The challenge, however, is how do you transfer the experience, the knowledge, and frankly, the wealth uh, from you know, institutions that have been building up for, say, 75 years uh, with a lot of support to uh, an organization at the local level that may or may not have the capacity to receive that. Um, and I think it's just uh, working together to try to create conditions so that uh, more and more emphasis can be placed at the local level and more decision making can be delegated at the local level uh, is important. I think uh, what we have done and I think we continue to do is um, perhaps somewhat different from some other groups in which uh, we try to work with local communities wherever we do operate. We hire local staff. We make sure that staff understand the, the language, speak the language, and understand the uh, the local customs and and um, you know, the regulations, and uh, and try to promote from within so that people who represent those uh, communities um, actually are the ones who are impacting the direction that organization is moving into in any specific locations and we do that um, in you know foreign countries where we operate uh, and we do that here in our local resentment offices where the vast majority of our staff are former refugees and immigrants themselves um, so coming to the table with full you know array of experiences uh, that do equip them for you know dealing with the real time real day today issues that the communities we work with face so I think that that's something that is that is important, and um, I think we need to consider that. But as with everything, I, I do think that I would have to advocate moderation. Uh, and I think um, uh, while we absolutely will have to move in a direction of of creating some sort of a localization and and you know um, a plan that would really put a lot more decision-making at the local level, um, nothing happens overnight. And I think that you can't just do that without changing the entire system in which uh, architecture of the humanitarian response. Um, you know, how do you erase decades of uh, humanitarian decision-making that takes place in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, you know, in favor of making it happen in Amman, Jordan? Uh, it is it is hard, and we're just part of a larger machine. We can't do this on our own. We have to move um, along with the times, but we have to do that in a way that is sustainable, not just for us as an organization, which I think is important, but also for the response on the ground, which is definitely more important. Okay. Hey, thanks, Edel. Yep, uh, anytime. It was good. Do you see you? Do you see me? Will you be the eye?
so that we all can be. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you want to know more about Church World Service, please check out cwsglobal.org. Thank you.